Dustin Jones, what's up, man? DJ, my man. Thank you for inviting me up, dude. Man, thanks for coming on, dude. Yeah. So, uh, I you guys have been around a while. Um, yeah, yeah. I got. I was into the whole mud riding thing when like they first started when mud nationals first started. Oh yeah, and I was young, dude. I was probably. 11 or 12, I think. In the good old days. And we tear up 304 tracks, you know, every Bro, weekend. that's all they had back then was yeah. 300. That was the yeah. big dog back then. Yeah. Oh, I remember when the 450 come out, like, ooh, it was over with Man. the electronic switch and all that. Man, we had buddies that had them when they was rich. They, yeah. was, they was in high cotton if they had the 454. Yeah, my buddy had one. He was Yeah, they had some money. I'd go over there and, yeah. <laughs> had some money. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we uh, yeah, we started way back then, dude. Like, yeah. I don't even know. Oh six, oh seven is kind of when we were going to Mud Nationals, and then yeah. we started my business in two thousand eleven. And yeah, so, man, I, I've been, I didn't, I, you know, I know know some people that know you, um, like, but I haven't, you know, and I've never been kind of tied up in the space, and I haven't really messed with, really since the side by sides started coming out. Yeah, I really hadn't messed with the rides anymore. I just, I guess, kind of grew out of it and got. Well, I got into grew motorcycles. Out of it. Well, I got into motorcycles, man. I got into <laughs> like I, I, I did all that before I got to like. Drinking age, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Then you started drinking and, and getting thought, on two wheels, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of instead of doing it on four wheels, it's right? a good idea. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. And I got into that, and then now I don't ride anything hardly, man. I just uh, just the vehicles stay in a box now. And think about what we do because we do we we came from mud riding on quads, ATVs, like basically hunting four wheelers is where it started. Yeah, but that's such a niche thing that that you know it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that we didn't we we didn't cross paths uh yeah. because in the south bro, it's sportsman's paradise so it's mud riding for me it's fishing for some people it's street bikes it's boats it's har it's harley sports yep. cars yep. and so what we do is kind of a real niche thing like we specialize in all off-road racing mud riding and stuff like that and and you know the space is so big down here with with all the all the activities that you can do in Louisiana because we kind of got good weather year round. If you don't mind, a hundred percent humidity and a hundred degrees, we got good oh, weather. Yeah, man. yeah. <laughs> we got yeah. good weather year <laughs> round, so it kind of spreads everybody out. But uh, you know, you think a small town like this, we'd cross paths. We might have fought each other once or twice. Man, before. ain't no town. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how old are you? Uh, Thirty? Nope, sixty nine. Yeah, okay. sixty nine for life. <laughs> No, man, I don't, uh, I'm 34, so I don't know, I don't know what the days difference is, but yeah, man, I, um, I've been into it, like I said, I was into it, and it's funny, because I, I slowly moved from mud riding to, um, I got a Suzuki Z400, oh, and I was sport. watching, like, yeah, I was watching sport Doug quads. Gust, you know, yeah. and I was into the quad racing, and, you know, so people riding, um, you know, motocross, and I would go do the, you know, we do the quad stuff, that was fun for a little while too, man. Yeah, but dude. but you're doing the you're doing the Baja shit, man. Dude, let's, so, let's talk about it. First off, being from here, yeah, you have to be the only guy ever from here to do this. For shit. sure, there's not many people that drive as far as we do to do the racing that we do. So that, so we went from you know uh, mud riding and we did mud racing for a few years okay. and we were really successful at that. Me and one of my buddies traveled the country mud race. When I say country, I mean mainly the South, right? You know, Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, Arkansas where all the big mud racing was. And so we did that for like two or three years. And then we transitioned straight into full-blown West Coast desert racing from right here in Louisiana. That's so, so crazy to think about. Dude. Like, how do, first off, how do you go from, how do you go from like the mud stuff? It's completely different terrain. Yeah. The drag's different. Yeah. The gears are different. The tires are different. Set up. The suspension's different. Like how in the hell do you figure that out? Dude, like, you don't, man. We figured just, it out on levees. But, and, what made you want to though? I think... You know, I've always been kind of around racing. So, like, my dad dirt tracked whenever I was little. So did mine. And so that was yeah. kind of like in our blood a yeah. little bit. And, and 
you know, we grew up with not much money, so we couldn't afford to race. But if you remember in Doberly, they had a little flat track out yep. there. So we used to we used to have Yamaha Warriors. We would ratchet strap the suspension yes. down because we couldn't afford a drop kit. We would put golf cart tires on the rear because we couldn't afford Hoosiers. Yeah. And we would go race out there on the weekends. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. So I grew up in um, – my family's from Sibley. Yeah, so you're right there beside that little track. Yeah. And so that's where we kind of like tested the waters when we were young. But we just – we got dogged out every every weekend we yeah. went. Dude. We just didn't have the money to do it. But I've always been real competitive and into that. And so – um, then we kind of started dabbling and racing a little bit and, and it was, it went kind of right when we opened our company in 2011, you know, about a year in, we kind of opened a, a race team just cause it was like that natural progression of you have a, a company in this business and everybody knows you win on Sunday, sell on Monday. So we're yeah. like, you know what, we should start racing and kind of showing off our products that we're building here. And that was all mud stuff then. All right? mud yeah. stuff then yeah. is what it is. And what you guys was. were the name. Like yeah. you were the name. Like, just cause I, mean, I think it was cause you, we were the wildest. Go- yeah, we'd go to those events and like, oh man, look at those dudes shit. Like we it's good. we we had our little I think I had like a I got a Wolverine when they came out with the new model oh, yeah. and I had it oh, decked yeah. out, but I wasn't nothing like what y'all were doing, you know. But I think it was just at that time cuz that's what we put all of our efforts into was was mud riding and off-road and so everybody knew when we showed up it was going to be the wildest show. Like we were willing to tear everything up cuz it's what we did on a, for a living. So we yeah. would tear them up on those rides on the weekends and then Monday through Friday we're fixing all of our stuff, fixing everybody else's stuff. So, like, with somebody like you that goes out there for fun and wants to ride, you don't want to tear yourself up. No. You yeah, don't want to break yeah, stuff. Yeah. We did not tear you don't, it up. We, to tear bro, <laughs> we did everything we owned tore up by midday, work on it all night, and get up the next morning and do it again. Yeah. So, people kind of early on found out about us of, of – uh, we was wild and we was going to tear some stuff up. And honestly, that's been my career in racing. People know me for checkers or wreckers or they say win or what. They know – I'm going to win or I'm going to crash everything. Yard sale. Dude, I'm going to yard sale. <laughs> yard sale. Yeah, that's Old what I mean. Thing. Yard sale. Whole thing. Yeah. And that's what yeah. people knew us for. So it really built our name a little faster because we were just so wild, you know? Yeah. Well, how did you get into, how did you get on, into working on them? Like, how did that even happen? See, that's a, it, it's a crazy thing. That started at a young age and, and never did I foresee that my future was going to be in this industry doing this because when we were young, you know, my dad worked all the time. Mm-hmm. But he did teach us at a very early age mechanical skills. And so he taught us how to work on things. So since we couldn't afford to go buy anything new, we had to fix everything we had. So I remember being five, six years old, and we had a Yamaha PW50 two-stroke dirt bike. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It was no yeah. gears. It yeah, was just a little just, bit. Just yeah, get on and go, bro. Just get on in and give it. Yeah, gas. mix your gas up in there. Yeah. Mix gas, and so it would foul plugs all the time, yeah. and the carburetor would get dirty. Well, I remember five, six, seven years old, my dad would make us stand beside him and clean the carburetor or clean the spark plugs. And so if we like kind of wandered off playing with the dogs or playing, he would stop working on it. Well, we realized like if we want to ride something, we can't go buy it. We have to fix it ourselves. So my dad ta- taught us that early, early. And, and he would make us work on vehicles with him in the garage because that's all he had to get to work. And so if he didn't fix it that night, he couldn't go to work the right, next morning. Right. But he wouldn't let us sit inside and play on iPads and play games. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. At that time I was like, man, why would dad make us work all the time? Every time he's home, we have to work. Now looking back, it literally built my entire career. And what is my, now my racing legacy is my dad making us learn how to do that. Yeah. So as we got a little older, we would buy crappy four wheelers, 
fix them up because we knew how to work on them, sell them for a little more than we bought them for, and bought, buy a nicer one. And we just did that time and time again until we had nice stuff yeah, eventually. It snowballed into what you have. And then it fast forward 20 years, now I've got a business doing that. And yeah. we build custom cars and fix people's tore up stuff all the time. And, so, and you're, yeah, you're building stuff. It's just so funny because I've seen you from afar grow. And like I said, I've been kind of, I haven't touched, I'm glad you're here because I haven't really touched the industry in so long, like, or even been there, Yeah. Um, like at a ride or anything in probably over 10 years. Yeah. So it's like, I know it's changed a lot, you know, but um, it's just cool to see you guys, what you, I'm sure you work on people's stuff all over the country. Yeah, yeah. You know? we do now. We do now, now. Like before it was probably just around here, you know, the high rollers around here. You it know? was, man. It, it was uh, when oil was so good. Yeah, yeah. People it's bro, like 07, 08, 09, yeah. Bro, people were spending money building whatever, and, and there was no budget. These guys would be bring stacks of $100 bills in to pay for these rigs that we were building. And at that time, we were building... 10, 15, $20,000 rigs on top of the purchase of the vehicle. Yeah. And at that time in 2011, 12, 13, I was like, dude, where are people getting money like this? And so, you know, that's, that's kind of where we broke into the market, which was good for us. We were early to market in the side-by-sides because they released the, like the most popular side-by-side, the Razor. They released right, in 2008, out. 9. Yeah. In 2011, we opened when they released the brand new Razor 900. So Got you. Just coincidentally, we came to market at a good time, and it freaking exploded for us. And so the Razor's interesting because it, which you're Can Am now, you're right. All Can Am, yeah. All yeah, the Razor's interesting though because that changed the dynamic. It absolutely did. You know that that model of you know side by side because at first it was just like the mule. Yes. And then you had the uh, what was it before that? Um, the, the, the the rhino was the, around the the gator. What was the the John Deere thing? Yeah, the John Deere the, that gator was the, that started it right. And oh, then it was yeah. like it was you know slow and clunky. Yes. And then you had the rhino and the um, the mule yeah, that the come mule. out. And yep. then and then when the plays the the players come out, it was just like okay, this is different. Yeah. You know? And and they still kind of viewed them as like golf carts, like old old people rigs. But like we would take them and put lift kits on them and big tires, and they would freaking absolutely yes. blow people's minds because they were imagining those gators or those right. mules. Well, we would take them in four foot of water, snorkeled up to the roof, and like it would go. <laughs> and so immediately people were like, "What are these things?" So man, that helped us catch fire really in business is yeah. is going out there and doing that kind of thing. Well, what about Can Am, dude? Because Can Can Am came on the scene and just dominated the market, dude. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, how's it running running their stuff now? And I mean, what do you what do you like about it? You know, what's cool is. Uh, we always say, me and, and, and Malcolm Sneed, uh, the guy that I own S3 with, we always say we were Can-Am when Can-Am wasn't cool. Okay. And so 2006, Can-Am dropped their bad-to-the-bone quad, the Outlander 800. And that was yep. right when, like, Gorilla yep. was big in the yep. market. They had the race team. It was the biggest CC four-wheel drive you could get. It's bad-to-the-bone, just, just slaughtering everybody. Well, then just a couple years later, they released their Commander side-by-side that was just like kind of okay. Then they released the regular Maverick, and that's when we started racing them was when it was like the Razor 1000 was out and the Maverick was out, and so it wasn't that competitive. Well, it was just two years later after we signed our contracts that they released the Can-Am X3, which is like what everybody considers the big dog now. And so we got to see that quick quick transition from like uh, we're kind of racing from a deficit to we had the baddest car on the market it was like the bugatti of yeah. of side by sides even to this day it's it's been five years and it's still the baddest side by side is that what most people run oh for sure so and for and, sure and like you're running the limited what you just finished the mint 400 yeah we just finished that but, yeah. but we run like the, we run like the the highest level like the the, pro, the turbo pro turbo yeah, class yeah. we run the pro so there, it's uh you know there's some other 
entry level classes and like stock class and sportsmen, but we run like the the upper echelon class in the in the off road racing. And when I say off road racing, it's like anywhere from four to like ten hours of racing. Yeah, yeah. Long so race. Not, yeah, how does that work? Do. Where do you piss it? <laughs> <laughs> on yourself, everybody, bro? <laughs> everybody asks me that question. I just tell everybody, it depends on how bad you want to win. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So for us, we just we just piss on ourselves. Yeah. And it's, Dude, hey. <laughs> there's no stopping and getting out of the car. He was like, what? <laughs> no, that, that it's true. But nowadays, like they have what's called a condom catheter is what we use. Okay. And we didn't know about that early on. So we would just literally, it was like, are we willing to stop and get out and piss? Yeah. It's not worth it. If no. you're trying to win. I mean, no, I guess, so you just yeah. piss on yourself. Yeah. I mean, you're already covered in dirt and sand and yeah. sweating your ass so off. And, yeah, yeah. Whatever. And I guess. so yeah. now they make condom catheters that roll in just like a condom. They have a tube that runs down your leg. And so you just piss on the floorboard. It runs out of the car. Yeah. The worst thing is like when I was staging up for the uh, Baja 500, which is super long race. That's going to be like a 16 hour race. Where's that one at? Is that in it's Vegas? In, no, it's in uh, it's in uh, Baja, uh, oh, Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's okay, down yeah. in the Baja yeah. Peninsula. Yeah, and so um, pulling up to staging, you know, you always get those nervous jitters right before a race or, or anything competitive baseball mm-hmm. game. You're like, man, I got to piss. I got to have. I got the nervous squirts. Like I got to run to the yeah. bathroom and dump this off right quick. So every time we pull up to line, it's it's my co-driver's like, man, go ahead and get a drink and go ahead and take a piss before we get racing. Because peeing and racing is really tough. Like, you think it'd be easy to just piss on yourself? It's not. No. Dude, your bladder's in a bind. You're, yeah. Like, you're, it's hard to get it out. So every time we pull up to line, it's like, go ahead and take a drink and go ahead and piss because it's fixing to be a eight-hour, ten-hour fist fight. And so pulling up to the line of the Baja 1000, this was just a couple of years ago. I was driving for Monster Energy, pulling up. All clean, car spotless, fixing to take the green flag. We have like a minute and a half left. I was like, let me just pee. Well, I feel the the condom catheter start swelling. And I realized I was sitting on the tube. and Oh, shit. Had it full kinked off. So like the condom (laughs) catheter swells, swells, swells. Boom. Right at the starting line of a 10-hour race, I piss all over myself. And I'm like, dude, this is not the way. This is not the way to start. So, yes, we do have a plan for... uh, (laughs) For going to the bathroom when we're in the race car yeah. for that long, but sometimes it does go awry. How'd you end up finishing on that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I ended up crashing the car yeah. on that one. That was one that, but maybe it was the early exit that I needed, so I had piss all over me, and so 150 miles in, I crashed the car. Yeah, dang <laughs> Which man, is dang. not uncommon for me. What, what, what's uh, what's funny? What I've always told like the guys that race under my racing umbrella is. You know, if you can't win, you have to be memorable. So when you look at me, like everybody knows I have a mullet. Yeah. But I wear I wear blue jean shorts that everybody knows is I wear jorts all the time. So like I have this style that I that I carry around because I'm a pretty basic looking blonde headed, blue eyed white dude. <laughs> and so I have to do something that kind of sets me apart. Yeah, yeah. And I always tell the guys that I work with or that that I, I train, you have to be memorable. So be wild, be be fast, but be memorable. And so I learned that early on in mud racing, and, and I had a career. One season, I went completely undefeated. I How did mud racing work? Because I never – they would always have the mud races, yeah. but by then we were off trail riding, and yep. I never really hung out. And so I don't know the what's the – process on that like how what's the distance and yes. how does all that work? so the mud racing is set up in like a oval pit that's about two to four foot of water okay and so sometimes you're running fast sometimes you drop off in some deep spots and, and you really got a battle but you usually start about four wide and you make two laps for a a heat race 
And then the main race is everybody that's won up to that point, like a bracket system, races together. Sometimes it's five, six, eight people in the pit at a time. And that one's three laps. But it's literally about a minute and a half long of racing. Mm-hmm. And it's as hard as you can go in four foot of water. Well, and that, my question is on that, like, it's got to be frustrating if your first heat, great, right? Because the mud's not turned up good. And then you think, I mean, how many heats are you running? And then are you running different classes? Because by the time your larger class comes in, it's shit all torn up to where you can't run. Yeah, like, you're 100% right because you're running in water, in mud. Right. And so from heat one to the final heat for where the pro guys run, where we were running, it's completely different. So we would run multiple classes. We would run like some entry-level classes on smaller bikes to kind of memorize the pit, getting ready for our pro-level racing. But you're exactly right. Like by the end – the water's six foot deep. You're barely. That's what keep, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm just thinking barely, like what I know from it. You know. Yeah, you're barely keeping the quad above water, and like there's ruts everywhere. So towards the end, it's a freaking battle. And I guess the tough part about mud racing was uh, in a minute and a half, you make one mistake, it's it. it that's over. Well, now in like the the top tier of racing, which is like desert racing, you can make a mistake and you can make that time up in six, seven, eight hours. And so for me, it's like a true art of racing and a driver's sport of like everybody's going to make mistakes along the way. But can you recover and can you make that time back up? Can you push a little bit harder to catch back up to those dudes? So that's why now that we've been going into long distance desert racing, I, I freaking love that, dude. Love it. I got some more questions about the mud racing. Yeah. Then we'll go to the desert. Yeah, let's keep I, going. I, I'm interested. So did you start racing quads and then go to side-by-sides um, in mud racing? I started the other way. I started in side-by-sides really? and transitioned to quads. And yeah. so is quad like the way to go in mud racing? Is it just it's wilder, easier, for to, sure. easier to maneuver, I guess? But Yeah, it's a little, e- it's a little easier, but it's wilder. Like you're having, you'll have tire marks up your back from other guys because, you know, we're going water wheeling and literally batter, battling yeah. fender to fender. Yeah. And what everybody knew about me and, and Shane Dowden, which was the guy on my race team, because it was just the two of us at the time, is we would tear a car up. We yeah. would tear our bikes up. So they knew not to get too close to us because we get we would get wild. Yeah. And so if they slowed down in front of us, that was traction yeah, for us. Yeah, they knew they were going to run off. Oh, we were tearing <laughs> fenders off, dog. It did not matter. did not matter. And so um, the quads were, I would say, more exciting. The UTVs were a little slow and like it was a battle of attrition. Yeah. Where the quads, it was just a freaking party in the rem- pit. I remember um, this is the peak of me doing, you know, active in that community is when Brute Force oh, yeah. came out. Oh, yeah. That was the shit. That was a when big bore four wheel drive. When bike. they came out with that thing, it yes. was like, dude, if you had one, man, it was it was game on. And dude. then and then it completely transitioned after that. But that I just remember that happening. I was just like, dude, man. you've been through the whole yeah process, yeah yeah the early dude. the early God. I was in the early age. The three hundreds to the Honda yeah the four tracks fifties yeah, to yeah. whenever the brute forces come out, and that's when it really went to. It transitioned from hunting rigs and going mud mud riding on the same rig to they were fully built high horsepower big motor yeah. mud mud rigs the brute forces the outlanders the renegade Rincon the Rincon and we we had my buddy had one of those I didn't my buddy had one to go yeah. over there dude you could I mean as soon as you gassed on it you were in the air dude and what's crazy brute is force too. what you saw like in that transition if you came and rode one of my race cars with me which we take people for rides all the time oh, dude I'm down I'm down it's another level I'm our down. cars will run 100 miles an hour I'm down we can run through whoops that are 4 foot deep oh, hell yeah. at 85 or 90 hell yeah. the cars are unbelievable now but it's what you experience from a Honda 300 to a brute force 750 there was no comparison right oh yeah side yeah. by sides it's made at least that jump maybe maybe more than that from like a razor to where you're exactly at yeah. to present day these cars are freaking incredible the car that i race 
Dude, it's unbelievable. And are you doing all your you, – you guys doing your all – I know you're doing all your suspension. All, you're mm-hmm. doing all the mechanic work too, everything? Like everything. All the way down to the block. That's what shocks everybody is our little shop is right here in Shreveport. And so we built – I remember y'all on – are you still – you're y'all were on Mansfield Road. No. No, 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 that, no, was, no that, that was that other, was the other – that was the other one. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. Uh, oh, Cat Voss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't – yeah, that's right. That's and he, right. Was, uh, he was mainly mud on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's and right. so um, – but yeah, that's what surprised everybody is our little our shop here in Louisiana. We we do all the wiring on the cars, all the sheet metal work, all the chassis work, design our own suspension. It's a turnkey car, so like you just come pick it up, ready to pull up to the start line. And we got them built for rock racing, like King of the Hammers. We got it built for short course, like these dirt track type races, and then we got it built for desert race. We build we build a different chassis for everything. That's insane. It's just insane. How do you test that here? How do you test the desert stuff here? <laughs> That's a tough part, dude. Is running down levees like, and like, stuff. Everybody asks that. Yeah, but what about the air the dynamic? Like the you know how does that work? We get out on the highway. Well, you're fuel injected now. Yeah, guess, it is, so it don't it matter. Is. I'm thinking like carbs. Oh, yeah. God, no, bro, that, that's old technology. <laughs> that's old school right there. Yeah. Now yeah, we got O2 now, sensors so, yeah. and they uh, they update. It doesn't yeah. matter the elevation. So yeah. they'll run a little crappier when we get up at like eight thousand foot. But it's fuel injected, so it just adjusts itself. Yeah. But suspension wise, like there's no way for us to test. Yeah, we don't have any soft. Loops. We don't have soft terrain. Not I mean, we have that. mud or we have clay. Yeah, yeah. And so the the strategy we typically do is at the beginning of every race season, I take a week and I go out west and I test with all the companies that sponsor me. So like Fox Shocks, I test with them. Dude, I KWI. remember those came out. Dude. Oh yeah, God, they're awesome too, bro. And there's like they're like trophy truck shocks on our yes. car now. They're ridiculous. And so shock testing. Uh, tuning, clutch tuning, like all of that stuff I do in a week at the beginning of the season. And then throughout the year, like I've been doing it long enough, I know like what I don't like, if I need some more dampening, if I need some more rebound. So between races, I'll make little adjustments. But once I get my car dialed, that first, like that week of testing, I don't have to change it anymore. Yeah, There's little things I like to change for my preferences, like maybe steering wheel position or seating position. But overall, after we build a car, and we tested that first time, like it's ready for a season of racing. That's insane to think about. Because yeah. I, I remember growing up in the dirt track days, your dad, my dad. Oh, yeah. So my dad uh, ran a limited late models. Oh, yeah. But he didn't have enough money to have one. He ran somebody else's. And oh, then he finally got okay. a sponsor to get his own. But he only lasted like two years in it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, I, I just, I mean, they tore shit up. It was like a constant adjustment every single race. And then hoping you didn't, someone didn't run you in the wall yeah. and wreck you out. And that was a whole Whole culture right there, man. And it's the same thing for us, but it's not necessarily like you're worried about somebody running into you because those guys are racing. Dirt trackers are racing door to door. Yeah, you you have a lot of room and a lot of time. Yes. So you can be patient, make yes. your moves strategically. That's another question. So, like, how do you how do you strategically plan your race? So you're, you're running that many hours. How many total miles are you running? Um, so, like, this one we just finished was 400, 400 miles. miles. It was nine hours, 400 miles. And, and, and what's your average speed in that terrain? I'm not good at math, but um, typically we're – Depending on the race, we're anywhere from 50 to 65 average. So speed. you're running your RPMs around like what? On that anywhere car, from we're three like, to five thousand. No, or these not, cars oh. are like seven to eight thousand. Okay, it's a little higher. They're okay, screaming gotcha. now. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. like these cars are screaming now. But when you average that speed, like sometimes we're running a hundred miles an hour, and sometimes when we get in the really technical stuff, you'll be doing like fifteen to twenty miles an hour. So it varies drastically during these. Well, that, races. and that makes a big deal because I mean it's basically it's a chess match. Yes. You you know when you get in those areas, you go too hard, you're going to tear your shit up. That's you're the, done. That's the reason. You know, if you go too slow, then you may get you know, and then same thing. Yeah, I mean it, it makes sense. That's a risk. Like when you were talking about your, you know, your dad and them racing door to door and tearing the cars up by somebody hitting them. For us, it's like if you 
hit a rock and you tear the front corner off the car, your day's over. Or if like you get out of the wash and you get crossed up swapping ends and you barrel roll the car, your day's over. So the dynamic is so different that, that it's, it's really man versus machine versus environment. And so when we're running 75 and 80 through these whoops, like you'll start swapping ends and you'll be hand over hand, like trying to get the car yeah. straightened out. And that's different too, because I, I've never, I've only driven a side by side, like it's some rides on the you know, I haven't, I don't even have a side by side. Um, but I was a quad guy and it's so much easier to maneuver, maneuver yes. though, especially in whoops. Like you just lean back and hit the gas, yes. you know, it, yes. same thing if you're water skimming or something, you know, exact same but, way. but with this stuff, it's gotta be a lot more complicated. It can get out of whack real quick. Yeah. And, and, and with our racing, there's 10,000 opportunities for something to go wrong and it only takes one is the tough part. So that's really the dynamic of it. It's like, you know, only a few people know that before I raced professionally, I, I cage fault. And so I did too. That's how we probably know each other. Cause you, you know, uh, Andrea and Tony and course. all those people. Yeah. We all used to train together. So yeah, I probably, of course yeah, okay. I trained at John Donnie's gym for, oh, so did I. that's how yeah, I know you yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. It's been that long. Yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Yes. God, yes. I was, right. I was young, bro. Yeah. I started there. <laughs> I started there when Andrea and Tony started. That's uh that's right. Cause I was yes. there the first day Andrea came in. And so I, remember, I was there. Dude, what a small world. Holy that, that's shit. Why I, I didn't know that. You. That's why I recognize. Why did I, I don't know why I didn't know that. I guess cause I haven't <laughs> talked to anybody about it. Yeah. Holy shit. So bef- before I raced, I, I did cage fighting. And to me, that was like the, the purest form of competition. It's one V one. right? Yes. And, in all that fighting and rolling and jujitsu and kickboxing, like it only takes one one time to get clipped. Yep. And, and so when I when I quit doing the fighting and stuff and I went and that's what racing was for me. It was the same thing. It was ten thousand opportunities for something to go bad, and it only took one to get clipped. But if you could do it a little better than the guy you were against, you got it. Yeah, you know? that's that's a good analogy because people don't think about that. You could be the best in the world, but if you ca- catch that one shot. One time. I mean, you could just one little minute mistake over with. That, could end your career, could change your mindset to where you don't perform better later on. Like, of course. So that's uh, – yeah, that's so crazy, man. I cannot believe – I I knew I, I recognized your face somewhere, <laughs> but, man, I just – like, you're in a whole different – element now you know yeah. and i guess i just didn't put two and two together yeah. that is insane man but yeah I, um but that's the perspective that i look at and like you know because you because you trained and, well, and you fought with us I, I do like now i'm in crossfit yeah and it's something my wife and i can and she's competing in elite level right now we can do but she that's how i met her was through fighting she did mixed martial arts as well in boxing and um now it's like the same thing for me. Yeah. So what you're doing with your racing is what I'm doing with the CrossFit thing. Now I'm kind of filling my void yeah. because I felt like I had a void, but I also knew I was in oil and gas at the time. I was working a full-time job. I can only train two or three times right. a week. Right. So when I was fighting, if I would compete and I would lose, I'm like, well, shit, this guy's doing it for a living. Of course. I'm doing it for a hobby, you know, and it kind of fills my void now of a competitive, you know, not having that competitive, uh, you know, thing going on all the time yeah man which i think is so important dude you know if it wasn't racing for me and it wasn't cage fighting for me i I would be doing like i do a small amount of crossfit too and it it does give me in between the races it gives me that because you're working out against the guy sitting beside you and you're also beating yourself it's two things right it's like you're competing against them but at the same time every time you go in you're doing a little bit better than you did before yeah and you Want to quit the whole fucking time. Whole I, time. Whole I time. want to quit the whole time. Whole time. Like every time I turn around, I don't, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm midway through a workout. Like yesterday we did one. I was telling him about it earlier. We, we did one yesterday and we did like, um, we did a half mile run, came back, did some burpees, some mm. devil press, mm. some pull-ups and some mm. more burpees. Then went and took off running two miles with a tire, <laughs> came back, 
did some Atlas throws, some javelin. Did I see y'all running down the side of airline yesterday afternoon? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was throwing stuff out the window at y'all. It wasn't airline, no. It wasn't airline. It wasn't us. We were on um, a Brownlee. We were coming through That's Brownlee. where I yeah, yeah, yeah. live right there in Brownlee. Yeah, yeah. That's where yeah, I'm Yeah, that's talking. where it was. Yeah. Yeah, that was side. us with tires. Yeah, yeah, looking yeah, like yeah. idiots, bro. Bro, just making fun of y'all the whole time. <laughs> but it feels that void. Like it's that. It does. Because you want to quit the whole time. Oh, the whole time. That's what racing is, dude. Especially when you're six, eight hours in. You know, at the eight-hour mark is like I go physically deaf. I can't hear anymore, and so it's, really, is that loud? It's just the drone of the car. It's I have a co-driver with me, and he calls every turn. I didn't know every that. Straightaway, okay, so every straightaway, every danger. Okay, and so he's in my ear the whole time. It's the of the car, and at the eight-hour mark, I stop being able to physically hear things. And like he'll shout at me, and for a time, I'm like I can shake the cobwebs out, and I can hear again, but. All, like it, it goes away and I don't know it's not that I go deaf it's that my mind doesn't process what's coming through so yeah I mean you can't listen to music or nothing no you just have to be in there and listen to them and you can't take focus. your mind off of it at all I guess. but it but at eight hours that cognitive skill of of listening goes away and it's uncontrollable it's like you and your workouts like when you get to that physical fatigue and you know I'm good buddies with Cowboy Cerrone the UFC fighter He's I was gonna bring that up too what and he talks about that. When you get to that physical fatigue and that breaking point, that's what's so crucial about being in good physical shape, especially doing what you do and what Cowboy does, is it's uncontrollable. You might want to fight back. You might want oh, yeah, to do yeah, another yeah. rep. There's not doing another yeah, rep. Yeah. Your body physically won't allow it. That's what happens to me in the race car whenever it comes to, to hearing at the eight-hour mark. That's insane. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. So, like, how does that work? How do you prep for these? Like, like um like stamina wise and, and just the grueling taking the, I mean, it's, you, you have to be so beat. Like you just yeah. finished one, what a day ago, two days ago. Two days ago. Yeah. 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 I mean, you gotta be beat down. I'm, I'm sure you're used to it now, but I mean, but still like your body, like just taking oh. every single bump, every single, you know, yeah. jar and, you, and you don't get used to, I'm still peeing blood after that. So it was a nine hour what? race. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Dude. And it was two days ago. And so that, how I mean, did you do? I did great until I didn't do great. Okay. What so, happened? Uh, we started 30, 30th off the line okay. and ran everybody down. How does that work? Is it qualifying? No. On this one, is random draw. It oh, was, okay. It was so everybody that kind of goes from yeah. the Yeah. So usually we qualify really well, and a lot of races, big races are qualifying. This one was just completely random draw. You sign up, you put your name in the hat, they pick them, and that's where you start. So we started, like, I think 27th. And so it was a four four lap, hundred mile per lap race. So it was 400 total miles. By the end of lap two, we had caught uh, first place. So we were in second, could physically see first place. So going into that last, we ran that whole lap, just kind of paced him to try to see what his pace was. So we didn't tear the car up. Going to the last lap, we were four minutes down uh, off of the leader. I could still see his dust when we were coming through sections. And so my, my pit crew told me you're four minutes down. And so, from there to about mile 50, we made up a minute and a half. And so I was like, all right, got you, dog. I know what your pace is. That's it. I got you. And so we started the hard push in the last 50 miles of the race. And 20 miles from finish, we broke a ball joint. Oh. And so when so. we did, it tore the whole front corner off the to- off the car. And that was a wrap? That was a wrap. Okay. I didn't know. I saw the I saw the rankings, and I was just like, man, I didn't know how he did. But you won last year, didn't you? Oh, we won two years or, in a row. Or two, yeah. And damn, so that dude. was actually... Crazy part about this race is the Mint 400 is like what you would consider the most prestigious race in the in the U.S. Right, the most prestigious off road, and so 
We've won it three times, and we're the we're the only UTV t- team to ever win it three times. That's that's an achievement the itself, right there. Only UTV team to win it back to back because I won it in twenty one, and I won it last year. And you would have won it this year too. And we were on our way to win it this year. So last year we set a bunch of records because of we were the only teams to do that. We were the first team to ever do it in under eight hours, and then so this year we were on on track to set even more records. What and, caused uh, the um? The ball joint issue. Freaking 400 miles of thrash yeah, in the just, car. Yeah. Thrash in the car. And it's everything was brand new in the car when we started the race. We've never had that failure before. And it's just, it's just you bend that wire so far. And at some point, that wire's oh, going to yeah. break. You know? Yeah. And it's, we did turn it up for the last for the last lap. You know, we really tried to take care of the car, but it's just the the race is so rough. It's the most prestigious for a reason. It's well, so freaking yeah. Rough. And that's what what's interesting about the rankings and that and how you land because you cannot finish and still be a higher place than the other people who didn't finish. I know, dude. A previous, know. you know, twenty miles ahead of you. Or, I know, but that's that's what's crazy to me about that whole thing. Well, that's what we had to sit there and watch because we were second physical and I could see first place. Mm-hmm. And we literally had to sit there on the side of the track while the next 30, 40, 50 cars passed us. And so we went from going to win the race to everybody else that even finished beat us. Really? And so it's tough, man. Dang, it's man. tough. It's tough. Dang. But everybody knows that I'm, I'm going to win it or I'm going to crash a car. And, and I'm willing to do either. It doesn't bother me to do either one. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned the mullet and stuff earlier. One thing that I learned early on it was to be memorable. And mm-hmm. the reason I learned that was in mud racing – I don't know if you remember. I had this uh, lime green and black side by side that everybody. Oh, everyone knew Tropicana. it. I, I, I remember that thing. Tropicana. Yeah. yeah. So it would fully build motor nitrous, tons of nitrous, and it would wheelie off the line. And I won. I mean, you know, I won tons of races in that car. Nobody ever remembers those wins. Nobody remembers that championship. They only remember the weekend at River Run when I hit the back straight on the nitrous, skimmed that hole, and I turned too early and flipped that thing end over end. <laughs> So all people ever remember about mm-hmm. my race career in that mud bike was, you remember that time you freaking cartwheeled Tropicana in the mud pit? <laughs> and I realized something then. I was like, if you're not going to win, you got to make sure people remember you. Or on your way to winning, make sure they do. It's like you when you were fighting. Like everybody wants to see the head kick knockout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No one wants to see the, the you know, m- you know, get on the ground, transition to an arm triangle. They want to see a highlight reel. Who's the most popular fighters that 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 yeah. lived? It's the Anderson Silvas, the Chuck Liddells, the Cowboy Cerrones. They didn't come to choke nobody, dog. Yeah, they was trying to sleep people. Yep. And so I learned that early on, and and now I realize like there's not no value to crashing a car. So I run on that ragged edge of I'm right at the verge of crashing all the time, but if I don't crash, I'm going to win. Yeah. That's that's crazy, man. I <laughs> I can't like I just can't. I'm still I'm still blown away the fact that I didn't put the two to two together from Mafia, man. <laughs> dude, dude. It, it, that's crazy to me. I don't know why. I guess because like I said, two different worlds now. It's yeah. completely separate. Um, well, House Cowboy, man, he's retired, man. He uh, this dude, yeah, he's he's funny, man. You know, he's and always he, and he raced. He like so he's, he's racing good. now. Yeah, well, yeah, we built him a race car, and that's he. That's all he wants yeah, to I saw do because he he was raced like what a class or two under yes. you or something. Yeah. Yes, so he and I race every race together now, and he races uh the class just below mine. So he races like the unlimited trophy class. Got you. And so um that's all he wants to do now is now that he give up. It's it's like we talked about the fighting transition. Yes, it's taking for him. It's still his battle yeah. against nobody but himself. Yeah, you know what I mean, or one v one type battle. It's him against the elements. Him against the car. 
that's all he wants to do now is he wants to let's meet up here and let's go race this race. And I'm like, but the thing with him is he had an amazing career, yeah. you know, one of the longest. Yeah. He's been very successful. He's got plenty of money and plenty of time. Yeah. And my boy just wants to have fun, yeah. dog. And so it's every, today. Call me three times. Hey, you know me. <laughs> you know meet up this weekend and go race. I'm like, no, dude, I can't do that. He's like, all right, all right, I'll call you after a while. He would call me back with something else. You want to go this weekend to uh, hog hunting in Texas? The half inch? No, no, cowboy. I don't want to do. It. All right, all right, I'll call you in a little while. And dude, that's just what he does, man. <laughs> my and, buddy was somebody was telling me that you, him, and you, Mike. Is it Michael Daniel? Yeah, 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 yeah that's one of my buddies, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah freaking yeah. Mike. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, another one of my buddies was telling me he's like, yeah, man, he he was uh, hunting hog hunting out there with Michael not too yeah. long ago. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, Mikey took us all out with uh, with Lena that. Um, Pro shooter girl that Lena yeah. Muselik, uh stud world champion shooter. So Mikey he freaking took me, Cowboy, and Lena out hog hunting just uh, just a month or two ago. Nice. And so all that boy wants to do is have fun, man. Yeah. And now you know he, he fought for so long in USADA or USADA or whatever the drug commission. He's never failed a drug test. He took more drug tests than any person in the UFC ever. I think it was fifty two drug tests. He never failed one. And now my boy juices out of his oh, brain. Why not? That's Why what not? he said. He said, dog, this is what I've been looking for. Why not? Yeah, I saw some pictures of him and I've never met Cowboy in person. I just know people that know him and like you know him. Um but um I saw some pictures like, yeah, he looks he's he's got his got some size. Bro, I was at his retirement fight. He fought at one fifty five. I saw that fight, it was amazing. I just just to see that like put the hat down and the whole man, thing. Man, the whole that's, thing. That's got to be emotional. Like, and, yeah. and I didn't know he was retiring. And so. Oh, he didn't tell la- you? No. His last three fights, he brought me out to, to, uh, to just be there with him and, and his family and stuff. And so I went to, uh, the last two of his fights, one of them got canceled. And so we got transitioned into the, the, the last fight. And so he called me, he's like, Hey man, uh, I got a fight and it's, this is the date. I was like, bro, I can't no more. I've come out two or three times now. Like I've seen you fight. He was at fight number 49. I was like, you still got 50. Like, I'm going to wait. I can't. He's like, nah, man, I need you to come out. And I was like, man, this, why do you keep saying that? He's like, dude, you, you, I need you here. I was like, cool. I'll freaking come, dog. I got, yeah. dog, I got you. And so I didn't know. He didn't tell me before. When he was walking out to the cage, me, his wife, and his two little boys met him right there for him to tell them hello. And he freaking, he looked at me. And gave me that head nod, and uh, man, I still got the video of a dude. And I realized then I was like, "This is it, oh man, this is it." So he got in there and fought, uh, you know, Jim Miller, yeah. which was he was fighting that guy for the most wins in the UFC history. Mm-hmm. Whoever won that one had the most wins in UFC history. Yeah. Unfortunately, he lost that fight, but then he, uh, you know, he started taking his hat off, take his gloves off, and and you know, I I'd kind of figured it out when you told me. I have to be there. You cannot miss this yeah. fight. And he gave me the head nod when he walked in the ring. I thought, yeah, man, this is the one. He's had such an amazing career, man, and so many wins and so many highlight reels. And, I mean, what he did in WEC before he went to you know, UFC and just, I mean, man. It's... And I, I aspire to be that in racing, you know. I like surrounding myself with people like that, with people like you that are getting out there and like this podcast, man, and just putting yourself out there and doing what other people are. I like surrounding myself with people like that because it helps me want to be – better at what I do or, or a better person in general. It is interesting how that works. Like as you, as you grow and like lose the ego and lose the, whatever mm-hmm. thing you think you need to be. Yeah. And you start kind of going down that path. You somehow just attract other people that do that too. Yeah. It's really weird how that works. Man. And it brings you up. It's, it's that, you know, iron sharpens iron type yeah. thing, you know, and I was trying to be so careful who I put myself around because of that, you know, uh, I, 
with racing, if you surround yourself with people that you outrun all the time, you're only going to be as fast as that fastest it's guy. It's like you, if you're the tough guy beating everybody up at the gym. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. If you're the toughest guy at the gym, you're never going to get better. No. You need to be bringing people in that freaking stomp you, and that's going to make you better. You know? And so, I, me and Cowboy, that's why we get around, along so good. He's accomplished quite a bit more than me in his genre, which was fighting. And he's a very successful businessman and very, very smart at marketing himself. But he's not where I am in racing. And so he's got where I want to be. But unknowingly, whenever we met, I am where he wants to be. Exactly. And so we, we mesh well because I force him to be faster because I push him so hard. But also he puts me in spots to make me better and more successful because of what he's been through. Hell yeah. That's a good that's a good analogy. It makes sense. What um so parts wise, mm-hmm. what are we doing on like so I remember when uh, we were racing and like you had, you only had like a handful of exhaust systems you could run. Mm-hmm. We were, but I was, I didn't have a fuel injected bike. I'm just thinking about that. Oh, you had an yeah. HMF though. You yeah. Had no, HMF oh, white sure. brothers. White brothers. Oh, really? <laughs> Everybody had a white brother. Yeah, man. Yeah, white brothers. Had a sport FMF. FMF. HMF. For those, um, the dogs. Yeah, dude. Those, the dogs. What do you, what, what do y'all, what kind of setup do you run on these things dude, now? Like, everybody makes it. So Borla, the car, the sports so like, car exhaust. they're putting, you're putting oh. that, what type of exhaust are you running? So we run a custom built exhaust. Okay, so you, you build your own. It's lightest and, and like fastest. aircraft aluminum. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's all like super thin stainless, three or four stainless and is we that, TIG weld it all and all that. Well, how does that work? Is that like, are you, are you trying to get your like rig as light as possible? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So anything. Is that like for numerous reasons, yeah. like fuel consumption? Yep. Okay. Speed. Like it, and speed. It's, it's, suspension. Yes. It's, it's easier on parts. It's, tires. It's, Cause you can less go, weight. Yes. You can go faster. So even things like shaving tires down, like taking, taking brand new tires and shave. Cause for me, we race on the highest level, so I can't leave anything to chance. So every single race, my car gets torn down and completely new drive lines, all new tires, wheels, brakes, ball joints, wheel bearings, knuckles, steering components, everything. So all the way down the frame, basically. Everything's new. The only thing we don't change is motor, transmission, and wiring. When's your next big race? I have one in one month. So you have a month to completely tear mm-hmm. that bike down and reassemble mm-hmm. all around running the business. Yes, yes. That's a lot. And well, fortunately for me, I have a crew chief. And so right. everything that, that I dabble in, I run it exactly like a business. And so... You know, I have sponsors. I don't take any money out of my race program, not one penny. I put it all back into my racing program. But for me, that's helped building the S3 brand, the company that we right. have. And so it's an investment for me. I, A, there's monetary value because I get to do what I love. I race, and I freaking love that. So that's like giving me a million dollars a year. I get to race for free, like as a profession. I love it. Yeah, if you think about it, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, and so that's that's exciting for me. And so the racing, I run like a business. I put every dollar back in there. So I have a crew chief that whenever we get back, like we go over any issues that we had, what we want to do differently, what we want to change on the car, and he does it. And so while I'm running the businesses and, and working, he's getting the car ready. Okay. What kind of tires are you running these days? I run Maxxis. Maxis, I run Maxxis brand tires. Yep. And so 32s and, and Maxxis is the big company. What what uh, what style? Um, it's like an all-terrain. It's They kind of look like Toyo MTs a little bit. Okay. And so it's almost like a truck tire tread. How large is it? 32s. So running 32s on like a 15-inch? Yeah, 15-inch wheels. Okay, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. That's, what, that's what's big now because it clears your brakes and everything. So yeah. our cars, like we build a lot of chassis. We build like 20 chassis a year for, cust- for customers all over the world. And mm-hmm. it's because all of our stuff is so thought out. So even like the wheels, we only use 15-inch wheels 
or bigger because it has to have enough room to clear the brake caliper to where rocks can't get in between there. Ah. But also you reduce the amount of rubber you're using. And whenever you use spoked wheels, it lightens it up by using less tire rubber. Mm-hmm. And so like, dude, my cars are so methodically built. That's insane. To yeah. Think about. Man, I'm a, I'm a gearhead, dude. I, I build vehicles, buy and sell vehicles and I love it now. But like, yeah, it's always fun to build something like a, we're, we have a Jeep. We just built like an LJ. I love Jeep. Oh four. Oh, dude, yeah. that's the Holy Grail. Oh, it's it's legit. Well, I want one you need to so check it out. Bad. It's legit, but it's it, it's not like it's not like sitting on. It's just got a small like three and a half inch lift. Yeah, thirty threes. It, it's not like sitting on like a you know crazy rock crawling suspension. Like mine. <laughs> yeah, like yours. <laughs> Carry one tons and forty two inch. Yeah, man, we're not doing anything like that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not in that market. I gotta get. I gotta build me a shop first. Yeah, give me a shop, and I can start building all the things I want. Somewhere you know what I mean? Stuff. I just have a mall crawler right now. A little yeah. nicer than mall crawler. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man, I think that uh, I think it's crazy because. I, um, I've never really sit until sitting right here and talking to you about it. I didn't realize how much that I know and I still don't know yes. a lot, but yeah. it's just funny to, you know, past life of doing those things all the time and learning what breaks and stuff like that. I ran Maxis. Um, I can't remember what tires I used to run on that Z400. Zill- oh, no, no, no. Maxis would have been uh, like whole shots or something. Whole like. shots. Yeah. Yep. Ran yeah, whole yeah. shots on yeah. those. Yeah. And um, I love those tires, man. It's crazy. And yeah. We, and um, that, dude, that technology has come so far. So, like, we have a specific tire we run in the rocks that's a sticky compound. And so they're literally purpose built rocks. They're only good for one race because they're worn completely out. After Are you doing one so? You doing rock stuff too? Yeah, King of the Hammers. We do it one time. Okay, so year. how does that work? Oof, that's just is this, like it's a climb thing or like a what is this? Is this not like a this is not like a Jeep climb thing, right? It's, yeah, it's like that, but it's like it's a mixture between like really slow technical rock crawling and desert racing. Okay, so it's not this up straight uphill shit. Oh no, no, yeah, like, it is. Heck okay, okay. yeah, dude! Okay. The gnarliest rock gardens, rocks as big as this room that you're weaving between super steep and like the risk versus reward is terrible so you're you're driving in these yeah so it's like what's wrong with you man a lot of things (laughs) a freaking lot of things dog but it's like the worst of the worst so you you have to run some desert section get from obstacle to obstacle but when you get there it's like shift back to low range all lockers on and you're doing like five miles an hour people are flipped over everywhere you have to run over their rigs to keep going if somebody flips like it's insane. You're running a lot larger tire in this. We run 35s on 35s yeah. and, and wide locks. Yeah, and, yeah full bead yeah, locks. Yeah. And they're sticky competition compound. And like, dude, it's the technology for off road racing since you've done it is is like F1 compared. So, like, oh, I can only imagine. Run, I, you know, being, I mean, just seeing what technology's done in our phones from yeah. there to then, I can only imagine what's happened. Dude, we have certain compound tires we run for certain races. We have certain run flat systems we run depending on how many miles we're going to drive. You know, we're, we've got... Oh, so you run running run flats on these, on like the the one you just finished? Yeah, depending on what race really? it is, I run okay. run flat systems. And so, dude, so you're not carrying like a spare, you don't have time. We, we do carry a spare, but okay. we don't get out and change it. We okay. run it to the pits. Okay. So... I've been in situations to where we had to get out and change it. What's the scenario where you have to do that? So when, you know, we've... Because how long is one lap? Uh, that lap specifically is 50 miles. Okay, I mean, so 100 miles. 100 mile lap. So, so you have four, on average, you have pit stops in between there. And pit stops are about every 50 to 70 miles. That's And so you have to have a, a team member at every pit stop. You do. That's, you do. that's crazy have, to think about. I have three pit crews that and come so, with me. Okay. And they carry each chase truck has tires, wheels, axles, shocks, 
suspension parts, and we can swap anything in the middle of a race. It's no problem. Now, granted, when you have to do that, like, you're out of a race. You're only finishing for points. Yeah. But, like, with tire changes, I try to make it – I try to stretch as far as I can. But if you get five miles in and hit a rock and get a flat and you still got 45 miles to go, that tire ain't going to last. Right. So we literally run it until it's wheel on the ground – and then it's like, all right, we have to get out and change it. So we've got full tool bag, a jack, an off-road jack on the car, spare tire. like we, So we can change it in under three minutes. And so it's co-driver gets out, swaps the tire, gets back in, and I'm driving before he's ever completely in the car. What are you eating, man? Like, Because um, my ass eats like every two hours, so I, don't, I wouldn't make it. That's a big part. You asked earlier about preparation and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, About a month out from races, I start doing intermittent intermittent fasting. That helps. Yeah, that helps. So I only have one meal a day. And well, I usually try to target the last half of the day for my meals. What's the race window so from like start to finish? Like, Does it start midday and then ends? Not typically. Okay. Usually it starts about 7 a.m. Okay. And it goes through the whole day. And so we usually finish 4, 5, gotcha. 3 in the afternoon. So you're just running. Yeah, okay. So if I train my body about a month out to have a meal at 7 o'clock at night, then for me, I don't have to eat during the race. And so I do carry cliff bars. We tape them on the inside of the roof and inside of the doors. And so when we get to certain sections where it's like long lake beds, like 4 or 5 miles, I'll tear one off, hand it to my co-driver. He opens it and gives it to me piece by piece. And so I do stuff to try to keep at peak performance, but all my stuff is done like, like fighting. It's one in the gym. Yeah. So I start a month in advance acclimating my body to intermittent fasting. And usually I try to drink a gallon of water today. I mean, a day that week before, like I shut that off. Yeah. To where I, you don't, yeah. You don't want to be having to piss every, exactly. every hour. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to pee a lot and I don't want to have a need for water. You, you know, yeah. it's whenever you're. Cutting weight, you can drink a ton of water, and your body dumps it, dumps right, it, right, dumps it. Right. Well, if you teach your body to do that, it stays flushed out. Yes. Well, pre-race, like week out from a race, I stop drinking a gallon of water, so my body starts retaining Holding water it, yeah. Yeah. so I don't get dehydrated. Because if I drink a gallon of water a day and then go into a 10-hour race and I drink you know, a, a, a liter of water, I'm going to be dehydrated. And my head's going to hurt, and I can't focus, so i got to train my body for that. Yeah. Damn, that's a lot, man. It's a lot. People are not doing that nowadays. Like, we're one of the few teams that are doing that. Well, that's a good thing, though. But, I mean, just a competitive edge, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and you just, I mean. But that's why we're at the top of the heap right now. So, what, how's this series work? So, on, like, on the flow chart. So, like, are you racing, and like, points-wise, where are you at right now? I'm second in points right now. Second in points. Mm-hmm. And this is the United States. Yes. Um, yes, it's like the biggest series. So there's a lot of different series, but this is the biggest series that we what race What series in. is this? It's called Best in the Desert. Okay. And the, and how many how many uh, racers are in it? Uh, so the, in my class, there's about 60 in the points series, okay. 60 to 70 in the points series. And there's eight races a year, and one of them is a drop race. Okay. So it's like a normal like Supercross season, quad racing season. There's eight races with one drop race. Okay. And so you pick the drop race. It's whichever your worst race was falls out and they total points. Is that going to be this one? You think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, yeah. I mean, but, that's, that's, that's a good thing to be able to have that though. Yes. You don't have any other issues moving forward. But the tough part is like, you never want your drop race to be the beginning of the season. No, I'm only two races in and I've already got to burn my drop race. Right. And so now I can't make any mistakes yeah, for the rest of the year. You can't mess up. Not if I want to win the championship. So I can't. What I, I got off the, I started talking about exhaust and I got yeah. off the, the part saying, so Walk me through what parts you're using, what sponsors, because I only because I'm a gearhead and I'm a nerd about these things. And if people are listening, watching the board, I'm sorry, but I, I just want to know. Of course. So 
you know, sponsors, and I'm sure you know with the podcast, sponsors is a dicey thing because they like plugs. They right, like, right, They right. like return on investment. Right. So if I try to focus my sponsorship towards consumables and technology. And That's so, a good point. That way you're not you're not backed into a corner with a product that you don't like. Correct. Or, or like a part you don't correct. like. So like air filters, not really a technology, not really proprietary. You yeah. just swap an air filter, it's $15. And so when you start getting into things like tires, and I only run one set of tires one time and throw them away, that means I have to have 50 tires for the season between all the different races that I do. So like Max's Tires mm-hmm. sponsors me, and it's I get 68 tires a season. And so that's for... Desert racing, short course racing, rock racing, any any combination of, but that's tremendous. Can you imagine us having to buy 50, that's 60 a lot. tires a, a and year? Those are, and these are run flats. Yeah. Yeah, those are high dollar tires. Not what, cheap. Four or 500 a piece? Yeah. Yeah. And so they're super expensive. Same thing with wheels. Wheels, you bust one about every two races. You'll have a busted wheel or one that's like, man, we shouldn't run this one again. So I get a wheel sponsor. What kind of wheels do you run? Uh, I run KMCs. KMCs, good. That's and so... Um, they're, they're them and, you know, method and Raceline are kind of the top of the line right mm-hmm. now. And, and, uh, KMC has been with me since early on. And so, so I stuck to them. Fox shocks. That's suspension is, is they say suspension is free speed or free horsepower. And so you can have the highest horsepower car in the series, but if your shocks won't let you drive fast, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so that's an example of money spent on, I mean, sponsorship point pointed towards technology. Yeah. Because I get unlimited training sessions with Fox. I get unlimited testing sessions, shock rebuilds. So for me, that was a huge sponsor. Those dudes are experts at what they do at a technology that I'm not great at. So that was a huge impact on a, my racing career. You know what I mean? Is getting in with Fox. And yeah. Heck the, yeah. The biggest shock company in the yeah. world yeah. is Fox. And so... Tuning companies, like we're sponsored by a tuning company, uh, Evo Power Sports. That was and, the next thing I was going to ask you about Dino and with, you know, programmers and stuff yeah. being EFI. It's yeah, it's a lot huge different. now. Yeah. Could, because we can't, we can't mess with the motor and transmission. It's a spec class. That it's was the a, next thing I was going to ask is like, yeah, what are the restrictions? It's a pro production class. Okay. And the OEMs are really big into this to where, you know, like trophy trucks and stuff they're not really sponsored by ford and chevy and toyota because it's so far from a regular pickup truck. Yeah, they don't yeah. care oh you're, you're running like toyota nissan stuff like that right and yeah. so what what we do they want us to keep it really close to a production vehicle like it needs to look the same it needs to have a lot of the factory parts on it and that keeps the oems really involved which the oems are the big sponsors right are yeah the big money sponsors and so um you know, for that for that class, because I run pro production, it's uh, you have to leave it mostly stock. It's stock motor, stock transmission, stock turbo, things like that. And so, um, it's a it's a driver's class. So if you can pick up some horsepower with with suspension tuning, if you can pick up some horsepower with lightened tires and wheels, if you can run a little a few less parts on your car, you can be faster than a guy, guy that has the same motor and transmission. But that's pretty much all the parts you're running. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's that's, that's a big piece. I've got I've got uh, sponsored seats, sponsored harnesses, you know, uh, other little sponsored parts. But the really big consumable parts are going to be those guys: yeah. the tires, yeah. the yeah. wheels, the shocks, things like that. That you really just did you eat them up? You yeah. know what I mean, I bet. Well, on, on suspension, so like other than your shocks, like your you know your linkages and stuff like that. What's yep. that look like like these days? So, um, dude, it's like. Freaking trophy truck suspension now. Okay. So if you held like our suspension arms, because we run what's called like a trailing arm system. So instead of a straight axle, you know, we have independent suspension. Right, right. 
and the rear is a trailing arm as big as this table now. Really? So we build those in-house. Okay. We build all of our own suspension. But now it's like, dude, these trailing arms are monstrous. You can you could literally hit a rock wide open right in the middle, and it's not going to do anything to it. It's like full steel-plated trailing arms. And they're, are they, how heavy are they? Heavy. Yeah. Heavy, so that's the heaviest thing on your bike. That's the heaviest thing yeah. on the bike. That's the tough part. Is but it's make, worth it, right? If you If you go like try to go light and hundred percent something's going to screw up. That's one of the things you can't skimp on is suspension. Because yeah. if you, if you bend a suspension arm, which you're going to smash rocks, it just is going to happen in races. You can't dodge them all. And you bend one of those, you're completely out. So there's a few things that you always want to target. Um, it's, it's like, it's like uh, fighting or, or um, CrossFit. There's a few things that you can control. It's, right. How hard did you prep? What kind of shape are you in? How heavy are you lifting? You know, and fighting is what was your cardio like? Did you practice enough sparring? Did you did you roll enough jujitsu? Well, for us, it's the same thing. We can control how strong that suspension is. We can control how good our radiator system is because we can keep the car cool and we keep the car moving. And those are the the, the important things, you know. Yeah. The failure that I had this weekend. Hundred percent out of our control. Yeah, that's just yeah, it just it just happens. It's it is a what hard it is. part that we don't manufacture that we buy the best we can, and it just happened to break. Yeah. Whereas, like, if one of our suspension arms broke, we should have built it stronger. And right, so right. Yeah. We've learned that over time. Is that's the things you control, control, so you don't skimp on those. Well, I thought I didn't realize. I guess because I haven't looked into the sport, I just you know kind of looked you know thousand foot perspective. Yep. Like the co-driver thing. How does that work? <laughs> We're required to have a co-driver okay. in our class. Is that you safety cannot, thing? Or, mm-hmm, okay. Mainly. So we have a GPS system uh, that we run off of right before the race, like three days before the race, they give us GPS coordinates. That's a trail through the middle of the desert that we have to follow. And we have to hit certain checkpoints. And if you uh, skip like, those checkpoints, like you get disqualified. Gotcha. They're called virtual checkpoints. So they drop them on there with a computer system. And we have a tracker on the car that somehow senses location. Mm-hmm. And if you don't hit those spots, you get disqualified. Okay. And so my co-driver keeps me on on path on path, following GPS, but it's also for safety because if we turn this car over and like I got trapped and the car got on fire, like I would die for yeah, sure. Yeah, and there's no one there. There's Nobody no one did. nearby or anything. We're a hundred yeah. miles from anybody. We're fifty, yeah. sixty miles from from civilization so nobody could help us for hours and hours what's it like racing those elements versus like growing up you know how it is here like mm-hmm. and people are listening watching from because everyone's nationwide looking at this so like it's really just muggy dense humidity is extremely high here yeah. and it always is it doesn't matter what time of year yeah like you're in elements that are very dry yeah very hot yeah um how's that work like the, the toughest part is you know you're in a car strapped in full fire suit full helmet yes. engine right beside you and so we have a race every year that's that's in las vegas and it's about 110 and it's in august and it's the most difficult race of the year it's 110 outside ambient temperature it's 130 inside the car and so that's the toughest part is the the elements inside the car of like dude with the motor right beside you when you slow down and the fans are blowing and it's blowing it's it's 120 130 inside the car the other part of it is when you get out there dude i'm seeing parts of the country that less than one percent of the population a fraction of one percent of the population will ever see i'm in the most remote parts of arizona nevada california that are no roads no houses no access to them and so if you ever, and me and my co-driver do it every time, like while we're racing, and we just did it the other day at the Mint, and you take time to look past the trail that's right in front of you that you're trying not to hit, 
it's freaking beautiful out there, dude. We see parts of the country. These we'll go through these rain washed um, canyons that are 150 foot walls on both sides, and it's only eight foot wide. And so you're just freaking ripping 70 miles an hour with two foot on each side of you, and it's 150 foot down in the ground. It's incredible, dude. It's incredible. Or you'll top a mountain. Like we have these goat trails that we have to run up the mountain, and once you top it, you literally can see 100 miles in every direction. And you're just like, dude, nobody will ever see this. Ever see this. And so... It's a tough part. You're you're definitely battling the elements. It's hot in the race car. It's dusty. You're battling in other people's dust trying to follow them. But then there's also a side of it that's like, dude, we're seeing parts of the country that people yeah. I mean, you look, you're looking at it from a great perspective because you're right. I mean, I have no, I've never even been in that type of element other yeah. than the sand pits we used to ride in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, I do know, like other, you know, what I'm talking <laughs> about. But like other than that, like I, I really, I've never experienced that. You know. Um, Aside from working in West Texas or like in the yeah. sand pits around here, so but I, I can only imagine because that's just like a dry, very dusty, especially depending on there's been rain lately yes. or anything like that. Yeah, man, and that's a perspective that I always try to instill on people because I have been fortunate enough, and I tell everybody I've lived ten people's lifetimes. Yeah. So I've been to China and I've I've raced over there. I've been to Mexico. I've driven for Monster Energy. I've won the biggest races in the country, and so. For me, I tell people, like, you have to take time in the worst times Mm -hmm. to appreciate what's good about that. So it may be 130 degrees in the race car, 115 outside. We're sweating to death. But if you look around, you realize I'm in some of the most beautiful places that nobody will ever see. And if you just focus on, God, it's hot. Man, I broke these ball joints. Dude, it's going to be a long day of racing. You miss it all. Yeah. But if you take time to look around, you realize, like, how lucky you are, you know. Yeah. And that's in everything, man, with you and podcasting. Like those runs in CrossFit, I'm sure are terrible. Oh yeah, yeah. But you see your physical yeah. you see your physical results, man, and you're like, dude, I'm healthier than I was before. And like you take that time of running where you're not talking to anybody around you and you get to run through your thoughts, man. You get to think about stuff and you put posts. Yeah. It's it takes those hard sacrifices to appreciate how well you've got things. Oh yeah. I mean, if you don't ever get your ass kicked, you never appreciate a win, you right? You can't, I mean, you if can't. you win all the time, it's just, and that, that that's the thing with like any type of training. And I'm sure it's, you know how it is. And with racing too, it's like, you have to go to the depths. Yeah. The depths, the pits, dog. the depths. And you want to quit. Like mm-hmm. if you're in certain scenarios, you're like, I really want to quit. And you have to decide not to, Yeah, you know, and that's something that, you know, it's crazy to think about, you know, and then and it builds you up from there, you know. Dude, it does, and it and it creates a perspective then. Because when you've been there, dude, throwing up, running, carrying that tire. Oh yeah, yeah, anything like that, man. It, but man, training, cutting weight, you know, just dude, to, you know, or, you know, prepping like just prepping for what you're doing, and then getting out there and doing it. And but if you didn't have that sacrifice, you wouldn't have the same appreciation for the victory. Because I've been through the trenches, man. In racing, dude, I've wrecked brand new cars. I've 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 wrecked. 18 miles from finish will in the lead. I've, I've crashed 18 miles from the start line. Yeah. Like I've been through the worst. So anytime we have success at a race, I look back and remember like, dude, how bad could it be? You know what I mean? How bad could it be? How lucky am I to be in this position? Cause I know what it was like to be on the other side of it. Yeah. Well, um, what's something that's happened that you never would expect it to happen hmm. throughout all of this? <laughs> You mean like a, like in the moment or like overall? Overall, man. So I've overall. been able to make an impression on people that I would have never been able to reach otherwise. So this, for me, this has created a platform that I can touch people, that I can 
have a positive influence on people that I never would have never heard my voice before. And one of the busy, biggest examples of that is you have to go on YouTube and check out the BMF uh, kids camp video that, okay. that we put out. And so I crossed paths with cowboy only through racing. And that's, that's kind of how we ran into each other. Well, now every year cowboy and I do a kids camp out at his BMF ranch in New Mexico, gotcha. where we, we, we put out a video and invite kids to send us letters and videos. We weed through those and we pick 30 to 35 underprivileged kids that have nothing that come from terrible homes. We bring them out to the ranch and teach them life lessons for a week. We teach them how to work on vehicles, how to change tires and they're on their mom's Dude, car. That's amazing. How to, how to, um, you know, jumpstart a vehicle, how to handle a gun, how to protect themselves, how to shoot a bow and arrow. We, how to take care of animals. We teach them all these things for a week and then, and then, you know, send them back home. But to answer your question, what was unexpected for me is I started racing because I freaking love competition and I love racing. And looking back now, I recognize it's been an opportunity for me to reach children, families, other racers and set an example for them that I would have never otherwise reached without our success, without yeah. winning these races and without the platform. Yeah, and you don't think about that. You, it, like you said, you started, you just wanted to race. Just you don't think about once you get to that elite level, how much an impact you have. I had no idea. Yeah. I never planned to be in this position. I know I wanted to win everything I could win, and I know I wanted to race as hard as I could. I never knew these opportunities would would arise. But what's important is being a good steward of those opportunities. You have a voice with this thing. You know, you have an opportunity to set an example yeah. for people, for people to get out there. This is a good, this is a good platform for you to be a positive example. That's what I always wanted to be. Cause there's something I remember in life. I had an older brother and he was like four years older than me. So when I was a little, he was the freaking coolest thing to me ever. Yeah. And all of his friends were too. And so I tried to hang around with the pesky little brother. And I know looking back, like I got on their nerves, but my brother always let me hang around with him, which meant a lot to me. But there was friends of his that I really looked up to. And they, they, they remember specific friends of his, and I could name them to this day, and I'm not going to, that made a positive impression on me and some that made a negative impression on me. Yeah. They may have embarrassed me. They may have called me a dork. Like they may have told me like, get out of here, you know. I remember those ones that made the positive impression and the ones that made negative. And I always said from that day on, I want to be the one that makes a positive impression. So when I get these opportunities on the stage, on the biggest platform, on my social media, I want to be the guy that everybody leaves with a good experience. Man, what are you not good at, bro? You don't even drink. I was like, hey, man, do you want to drink before we started this thing? Because, uh, you know, I, look, I'm respectful. I'm not going to have a drink if you're not going to have a drink. But, you know, sometimes we have, I like some tequila. So, yeah, why, why is that? You don't drink, man. Um, and, hey, like, kudos to you, man. I come from a family of outlaws. Got you. And, you know, I come from a good Christian home mm -hmm. uh, from my parents. Mm -hmm. And so my bloodline is not a great bloodline. It's something I'm very proud of, yeah. but it's not, uh, it's a devil that I don't want to dance with. Uh, yeah. It doesn't, doesn't mix well. <laughs> and I mean, you know, from the racing and from social media, I have no chill. Yeah. And so if you, I break, if you amplify that dog, <laughs> bro, if I, if I test something, I'm all in. Yeah. And so I'm not willing to chance that. I know my, my personal limitations because of my bloodline and I know not to try that. That's good though, man. That's good to think about. You know what I mean? Like if you, I, yeah, I I do a, I feel like I do a zero to one hundred on a lot of things, but that's one thing that I I 
used to do in that you no know, atmosphere now it's just like i'll have one chill you know but i don't go crazy and i can appreciate that it takes some it takes some like self-evaluation self-control to do that yeah i don't i don't know that i have that so it's not something well I'm that's good though that's, just, that's, a, that's crazy to even think about man it's just i mean but i, I mean especially the kind of crowds you hang out with the, it, the, the industry boys. and the world that you you're in you know where wild everyone's boys. partying all the time you know what's weird is is now that i've made it to this point, and I've never tried alcohol. I've never never tasted it. I've never had a drink, period, yeah. in my entire life. Now, it's kind of like an undefeated record of like... Yeah, you don't want to screw it up now. I don't want to yeah, mess you it up made now. it this far. Why, why would you do that? That's man? what I'm saying now. Maybe like, on your deathbed or something, we'll take a shot. You know, like, you know, yes, that's what I'm saying. Maybe my last day, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? Hand me that bottle. Yeah, Let's go, yeah, dog. Yeah. But I don't... Like, my friends do it. I don't judge anybody that does. Yeah. I don't... But... For me now, it's an undefeated record that I try to stick to. And no, so I get it. Maybe a weird, twisted thing in my mind, but it's those two things. I'm undefeated in that. I can still to this day say I've never tried it. And I think if I did, I'd, I'd, I'd live out my heritage. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I hear you. No, I, I got some of those. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, uh, man, we've covered a lot. Is there any, there's any final thoughts or anything you want to plug um, or anything, man? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I guess. You know, the the big thing that I always try to instill in people in the in the kids for the kids camp and stuff and, and, and with your platform is is perspective, man, is, you know, I've been through tough times. I went through tough times just a couple of weeks ago. I, I was or a couple of days ago. I was winning that race until I wasn't winning that race. And in that moment, whenever I'm trying to swap ball joints in the dirt in the desert, I think this is horrible. This is freaking horrible. I was fixing to be even more famous, even more recognizable by when setting more world records in racing. By and then now look at what I'm doing. But I had to take time to recognize, like if I don't appreciate these times, the next one that I win, the next opportunity, I won't appreciate that as much. So perspective is so important, man. Is you have a platform, you you have an opportunity to set an example positively or negatively. Yeah. For young people, for people that want to podcast, that people that want to hear, have their voice heard. And so I always encourage people and I always try hard to be, be that person that's on the positive side. Yeah. Be, be that good guy. You know what I mean? Everybody likes to be a bad boy. And they like, Oh yeah, man. Yeah. But when it comes down to it and you got to put your head on the pillow at night, be that good guy. Well, I'm just, I'm glad you say that. I completely agree. And for me, it's like, I just like to have conversations with people that I know are those type of people. Right. So I'm glad to get to know you a little better today because I I know who you are. Once you sit down with somebody past, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, you can't really BS them anymore. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you know, what's up, you know? So it is. It, I think it's important. I think it's important you said that, but I also think that's you know when I try to have people on here and what I'm doing here is just really just trying to spread everyone else's word, not mine. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But some people are like, "Oh man, that's so cool." I'm like, "Yeah, but they're the cool ones." I'm just yeah. here, you know, having the conversation, just facilitating right? that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I appreciate that you would take time to have me up here. I oh know. heck yeah, dude! Now, now that we realize who each other were, it's been I'm, years since we crossed paths. I, I, I know. So. I couldn't believe I, I'm sitting here racking my brain because I try to do ten things at once in my head, and I'm thinking like. Dude, I, I remember now. I, I remember, like, I yeah, I remember, like, crazy. Cause it's a small world, man, for us to uh, reconvene this many years. I, mean, I know, right? I can't even, I mean, how many, 12, 15 years, maybe? That was, oh, man, what year was that? And so, we've had to be, like, 08? It was, oh, I graduated in 07, mm-hmm. so it was definitely 08, mm-hmm. 09. Yeah, it was um, before I started I was, the business. I just got into the oil field, yeah, and, um, yeah, man. And so... Yeah, we had some I mean, goons in there, boy. Dog, we was goons. Dude, what you I'm talking, talking about, about we what? was goons. Us, yeah, I know. Yeah, I say we. Like, <laughs> I'm not anymore. You know, I'm just over here on the sidelines. But, like, but yeah, dude, we were. And, and a lot of people were, man. We got it in, dude. I'm talking about. 
all the people. I, I love to see people like that are, st- you know, they don't even train or do anything with it anymore. But you run into them, you're like, man, I mad respect still because we've been in the know, been in the trenches together. We have, and then when it's cool to see like uh, Tony fighting, you know, see him fighting, you see see Andrea do that. Yeah, and you know, that's one big thing. Matt, I, Danger Snell, yeah, you know, dude, all, the all those yeah. dudes out there just getting it, man. And that's one thing that I, that I learned early on is, man, it, it's. You should always be happy for those people. You should always be proud of those people. And I guess, I guess a little bit of that comes along with feeling a little bit of success that you that you like to see other people be successful too. You realize they're not taking bread off your table, dude. Like you can earn your own. Oh, yeah, way. yeah. And so when you put that work in, when you do good, and even maybe with maybe with CrossFit, when you see your partner like get a one more rep than you, you like good freaking job. Dog. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good for job. sure. For sure. You want to beat them during, but when you get over, you're like mad respect. You know, good job. I'm glad you better. I'm me. happy for you. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna like, beat you next I'll time. I'll get you next I'll time. I'll beat you next time. <laughs> but I like seeing like Andre and Tony and those guys do good. That makes me happy, man. Their success is is. Uh, it makes me happy to see them do good. And so same thing with you, dude. Now that we cross paths again, I see you doing this, man. I'm like, dude, that's freaking awesome. Hey, I'm man, I super happy for I you. I appreciate it. So well, That's a wrap, dude. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Of course, my man. Thank you for having me in.